and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. From the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, From now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know Christ no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's own self, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making an appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That is the word of God. For us, the people of God, together we say, thanks be to God. Do you need Jesus? Do you need Jesus? Do we need Jesus? Okay. It's a question that uh, will make you pause and wonder if you showed up at a Baptist church today, not a progressive Presbyterian church. But it's the question that I want to ask. Do we need Jesus? Over the last... 100 plus years, folks have been doing work to reform Christian theology, to continue to reform Christian theology, to rewrite some of the harmful teachings that have infected our tradition. Biblical literalism, human depravity, substitutionary atonement. We've been trying together to save Jesus. Liberation theology, restored. Jesus' own sense that human freedom and justice belong to God's saving work. Black theologians, feminist theologians, post-colonial theologians have all decentered a pink-skinned male European as the norm. They have aligned the Jesus movement with the struggles in our world against racism and sexism and economic exploitation. Queer theology asks us to look again at sex as part of our created goodness. It's even raised provocative questions about Jesus' own sex and gender identity. 
process theology, destabilizes the tyranny of our mechanistic, linear construction of time, and says that every single moment is pregnant with the promise of divine revelation. The kingdom of God is truly at hand. I'm grateful for every person who has pushed Christianity to be intellectually honest, ethically accountable, and consistent with both scripture and our lived experience. Modern theology is doing the work of saving Jesus. But amidst all of the ways that we have updated and upgraded our church's teachings, there's a criticism to which I'm always sensitive. H. Richard Niebuhr, the great church historian and theologian, warned half a century or more ago that if we did away with the old, brooding, punitive theology, it could come with a cost. Niebuhr remarked of the new, positive, liberal theologies that were springing up. He said they taught a God without wrath, who brought people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of Christ without a cross. Now, we could critique Niebuhr's critique, but what he gets right is that at least the old theological system knew that we are never as good as we think we are. The old system called us sinful worms, but at least sin itself was never in doubt. And in the 20th century, one that witnessed two world wars, the Holocaust, ethnic cleansing, environmental destruction on a cataclysmic scale, at least the old theological system wasn't shocked or even surprised. What can you expect from sinful worms? Only grace could save us. In the old system, at least you could see why we needed Jesus. I think we still do, but the rationale and the reasons why might feel new, and that's what I want to explore together today. What we have tried to lay out in this sermon series is a different kind of theological anthropology. That's a mouthful, right? A different view of human nature on what it means for human beings to struggle with sin and need God's help. Now, I've been clear so far. I think I do not believe that you and I are basically sinful. We subscribe together to a way of understanding the human being that says it's our belovedness and not our sinfulness that is our basic reality. We are God's beloveds all the way through. We are created good. We are created to do good. That is what we want you to hear every single time you come to church. While our sin does not define us, we nevertheless take it seriously. In the old frame, sin was inescapable. It renders us deserving of punishment, and instead of our punishment, Christ gets punished for us. In the old system, it was Christ's death that healed us. But I believe instead that it is the resurrection that heals us. Christ's resurrection is the power of love to restore what is broken by sin. What heals us is love. 
Divine love, the grace of our acceptance, the gift of knowing deep down that we are beloved. Now, those of you who pay close attention in worship, all four of you, (laughs) all right, maybe a few more. Those of you who pay close attention may have seen these theological convictions that I'm sharing this morning taking shape in our congregation's order of worship. In most Presbyterians on a Sunday morning, as part of the liturgy, you will have a confession of sin followed by an assurance of grace. That's what I grew up with. That's what I knew from the time that I was a child. But over the years, I have come to believe that that part of the liturgy is a kind of spiritual malpractice. Why? It's not because we don't sin. We do. I could list a a list, a whole list of them that I committed just this past week. But here's the rub, right? I, growing up, never found the assurance of grace as assuring as the confession of sin was convicting. We would spend like two whole minutes listing all of the horrible sins we had committed in that past week and then declare in a line or two that we were forgiven. You know what? I don't think it ever worked. We would marinate in the sin but only dip our toe in the grace. My former pastor in New York City, who nurtured me as I was a young clergy person, never included a confession of sin in the liturgy. So one day I just said, I asked him why. He said something interesting. He said, David, people who come to church already know we're broken. What we need to know is that God in Christ makes us whole. We need the grace because the grace is what heals. I suspect a lot of churches are still holding on to the old theology, afraid that if we don't make human beings bad enough, we won't ever feel desperate enough to need Jesus. But we don't need to be called worms to need Jesus. In a world of original blessing, Jesus still saves. How? I want to say this again today. We've said it before in this series. All of us are created by love for love. That is our nature. We are made to love God with our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. We are made to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That is how you and I express whom God made us to be our well-being as individuals and our well-being as a society is gauged by love. Another way of saying this is that love is how you and I become fully human. Now, if I were able to love fully and freely on my own, I could safely say to Jesus, nah, I'm good. But in my life, and maybe in your lives too, 
Love, it don't come easy. Love does not always come naturally to me. It's not always my first instinct. And love is not taught in the curriculum at your children's schools. Love is not the end or the purpose of our economy. Love is not how we treat the natural world. Love is not often how we treat each other. It's actually shocking if you think about it, how much our world compromises our capacity to love. It's in the sinful systems in which we live, but it's also the ways that our minds get contorted, fearful, and angry. I don't know about you, but on a day-to-day basis, I'm not convinced that I love all that well. That sin, that failure to love, that falling short of love, that is sin, that weight, that debt, that stain, that missing the mark. That's our failure to live into our full humanity. When I sin, I accept something less than my full humanness. I don't know about you, but I want to be a human being. I want to be human. I want to be in right relationship with you. I want to live in a world that's characterized by justice and harmony with you and with my family and as a community and with the whole of creation. I want to be a person. And God's grace is the way to our full humanity. That's the path. God's grace is the way that we become ourselves. It is through God's merciful love, through God's compassion, through love for ourselves, through our own emotional and spiritual maturation, through participation in justice, through life and expansive, inclusive, beloved community. Grace is how our nature is restored. Grace is not just a nice thing to have. It is essential to our human beingness. Amen? Amen. God knows that you need grace. God knows you need grace every day. That is why God sent Jesus. Our tradition teaches that Jesus the Christ is the event of grace. Jesus is love in human flesh. If you pick up those books that we call the Bible and you read those stories that we call the Gospels, everywhere throughout those Gospels, what you read about is God's grace entering the world through Jesus. In Jesus' baptism at the River Jordan, grace is that voice that declares Jesus as God's beloved child. It is grace that still claims at every one of your baptisms that you are God's beloved. When Jesus goes off into the wilderness all by himself, it is grace that delivers him from the temptation to use his power for his own sake. Grace still delivers you 
from thinking about power as something that's only for yourself. In the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told us, grace is what welcomes the child home, the lost child, and makes space for him alongside the child that has done everything right. Grace is what still leads you to forgive sins and welcome those who have sinned back into the family. In the table fellowship that Jesus celebrated, grace made room for everybody. Grace is what still makes room at this table for everyone. When Jesus spoke to rich folk like Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler, it was grace that offered them a way out of the life of greed. Grace is what still releases us from the love of things and replaces it with a love for each other. When Jesus bends down and heals the bodies of those who are sick. It is grace drawing near to suffering. It is still grace that leads you to the side of those around you who are suffering to offer consolation and care. And it was grace that led Jesus into a confrontation that we will read about next Sunday with the death-dealing powers and the principalities of the world. Grace gave Jesus the courage to stand up and speak truth to power, even those with the power to crucify. Grace still gives you that courage. It was even grace that led the Syrophoenician woman to Jesus. Jesus turned and dismissed her as a dog. And she told him that even dogs are fed at the master's table. Grace gave Jesus the humility to see the wideness in God's mercy. And grace still gives you the ability to imagine a world more inclusive than any of us could have seen. Jesus is the event of God's grace. I don't know about you, but my life without Jesus, my life without the breaking in, the saving love of God's grace is not much of a life at all. When grace comes to you, when grace finds you wherever you are and calls you beloved, when grace forgives your sin and claims you and sends you out to love and serve and nourish the common good, grace will transform your existence. Grace feels like breaking out of your shell. Grace feels like your eyes are opened for the first time. Grace feels like your heart is stretched and enlarged. Grace feels, to borrow a term you might have heard before, like you are born again. Sometimes in our worship, we do dispense with the confession of sin. But we will never get rid of the assurance of grace. 
We need grace. We need Jesus. And by the love of God, it is ours. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Let the church say, amen. Don't you know we need you now? Hear us.